Good morning, I'm Pete, uh, serve as lead pastor here at Cave Spring Baptist, and if you are new to our online gathering, I want to welcome you and uh, say we're really glad you're part of this. Maybe you joined us last Easter or today for the first time. We would love to be more than uh, an hour online for you. We would love for you to connect with the rest of our church family, uh, and so we, if you have an interest in doing that, please reach out to us. Text us, email us, call, uh, find a way to get in touch with us. We would love to connect you with our people and um, get to know you. Also, before we jump in to 2 Corinthians, I want to say thank you to our um, Bible study class teachers, our community group leaders, our deacons, our COVID response team, our CRT all of you are really uh, making this work right now and helping us to stay connected. In fact, I think we're hearing stories every week about people who were not connected, who are getting more deeply connected. One family even asking, is it okay to consider joining the church during this season? So really encouraged by that. I hope that will minister to you as well. So thank you all for pressing in toward the center and toward one another. Um, let's, let's come to this last line in the creed, life everlasting. That's how the creed ends. We're finishing our series on the creed today. And the very last phrase says, and I believe in the life everlasting, amen. So for Christians, life does not end at death. We believe in the life everlasting. For those who trust in Christ, those who've thrown themselves completely on the mercy and hope of Christ, there is something more amazing on the other side of death. But this life everlasting thing is easily misunderstood. And personally, I think the misunderstanding keeps people from taking Christianity seriously, both believers and unbelievers. Some of us probably think life everlasting is just another word for heaven. And heaven is where people float around on clouds and listen to 1980s worship medleys. But heaven's probably not like that. Uh, at least we hope it's not. And so, uh, and neither is the life everlasting just something that's way out there, right? So if you're a believer, uh, if you're a young believer or you're seriously considering Christianity for the first time, I wanna share something with you that I think will change the way that you read the Bible. And that is this, eternal life is not just another word for heaven. E eternal life is not just another word for heaven and it's not way out there in the sweet by and by. It is something Jesus talked about happening to us that can start even right now. And so Jesus would say things like, whoever believes in me will be born again, immediately, right now, born into a new life. Or he would say something like this, whoever drinks from this water, from this fountain, will never thirst again, but will have pumping up inside of him a, a spring of everlasting life. Jesus was all the time making claims like this. And he was doing that because life everlasting is not way out there. It starts right now with faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life in the biblical sense is, one, a qualitatively different kind of life that starts the moment you believe. Two, it grows inside of you, getting heavier and heavier over time. And three, it is often hard to see. 
the Apostle Paul teaches us those three things here in 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to walk you through those three defining marks of eternal life. Life everlasting, verse 16 starts now, verse 17 is getting heavier, and verse 18 is often hard to see. Let's look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians. If you've got your Bible, open that up with me uh, and dig into verse 16 with me in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Paul takes his argument about the resurrection now. Now we've, we've kind of walked through these three paragraphs in the last few weeks and think last week about what he said about the resurrection. He takes his argument about the resurrection one step further. He already said in verse 14 that the resurrection will guarantee we live again on the other side of the grave. Now, in verse 16, he makes this claim that the life-giving power of the resurrection, listen to this, the life-giving power of the resurrection of Jesus is at work in us right now. Right now, the, the thing that's making it possible for the inner man to be renewed day by day is the resurrection, life-giving power of Jesus. Commentators will like to point out that Paul is not just describing a recharge on your battery when he says day by day in verse 16. He's not talking about an iPhone battery that, that wears down and needs to be recharged daily. That's not the idea he has. Nor is he talking about some kind of inspirational daily moment that'll help you get through the hard times. What, what he's talking about is a thorough remaking of the person from the inside out, taking it down to the studs, stripping it back to the subflooring, remaking and repurposing us according to the image of our creator. And it's happening, amazingly, day by day. So what was unleashed on the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the energizing, remaking power of a new life that's happening inside you and I day in and day out. Now, verse 16 works off of the power of contrast. So watch this. Look at the contrast in verse 16. The outer person is wasting away. The outer person is, is decaying, is wasting away. Our, our bodies are feeling the atrophy of life. Right? Muscles are weakening. Reflex time is slowing. Uh, we're less flexible and less nimble than we used to be. I'll give you an example. We uh, recently had a work day at the church, and we spruced up the flower bed here by the front sign. And so I went across the street to the middle school to get a better picture of the front of the church. And so I hopped up on the guardrail. Well, at least I like to think of myself as kind of hopping up there like a 15-year-old. And I'm not sure that's what it looked like. But I hopped up on the guardrail, and I, I put my left foot on the I-beam, and I put my right foot on the guardrail itself. And that helped me to get a better angle on the, on, the, on the picture. So I snapped the picture, and everything was fine at that moment. And then I realized I'm going to jump down. And all of a sudden, that 24 inches looked really far. Like, that's never happened to me before. I, when I was 15 years old, I would have thought nothing about, about popping off the top of a six-foot fence and, you know, just parkouring it down, right? But at this point, I had to make a decision. Am I going to jump? And I did. I jumped. And, and uh, yes, all of creation is groaning. 
Is, is all creation groaning? Yes, it is, right? We're singing that. But so are my joints. And when I hit the ground, I was reminded that this body is weakening. This body is decaying. The outer person is wasting away. Now look, watch for the gospel contrast. Watch this. As surely as the outward body is decaying, Paul says, at the same time and far more powerfully, the inner nature is being renewed day by day, becoming more and more rich with gospel life. That's what's happening because of the resurrection. Now let me show you one more thing. Drop down to chapter 5 and look at verse 4. So, so scan down to chapter 5 and verse 4. And look at this, because Paul just keeps thinking about this new body and this new life that's coming. He says in verse 4, chapter 5, while we are still in this tent, in this body, we groan, being burdened, feeling the weight of the effects of decay and, and weakness. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would one day be further clothed. Not that we'll one day be without bodies, but that we'll be further clothed with new bodies and glorified bodies. Now watch this, look at the end of it. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And I love that expression. See, over and over again in, in the scriptures and, and even outside of scripture in life itself, it's the grave that swallows up. It's the pit that swallows up. It's, it's, it's the, the death thing that swallows everything up. But the gospel reverses that and now it's the gospel that has the power to gobble up mortality it swallows up mortality so imagine the gospel power of jesus in you like pac-man just swallowing up bullets right and and just swat gobbling up mortality gobbling up the decay gobbling up the brokenness and producing more and more life, more blue men, more blue men coming out of that Pac-Man scene, right? And, 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 and what's happening here is you've got, got mortality being swallowed up, gobbled up by life. Paul says, amazingly, that happens every single day as you're becoming more and more filled with Christ. So life everlasting starts now. Secondly, verse 17, it's getting heavier and heavier over time. And I mean that in a good way. So listen to verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, this season of trouble, this suffering, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We mean heavy in a, Paul means heavy in a good way. Uh, light furniture is usually cheaply made, right? Thin plastic toys don't last long. Or think about it like this, a small 12-foot sailboat, a dinghy, just skimming across the top of Smith Mountain Lake is fun, but there's not a lot of glory in it. On the other hand, if you see a big, beautiful sailboat, a deep water boat in the ocean, cruising, you will be inspired to the point that you'll want to sing with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. She was making for the trade winds on the outside. We had 80 feet of waterline nicely making way, nicely making progress through the ocean, smoothly, effortlessly, effortlessly displacing water. When you see that boat, you go, oh, now that thing's heavy with glory and beauty, right? And most of the time, 
in context like this, heaviness means quality. Heaviness means intrinsic value and worth. It is the same way in the Bible. Heaviness means substance. Heaviness means glory. The Old Testament prophets even use the word glory to describe the heaviness of God, the, the, the gravitas of God and who he is and how his beauty should impose itself on you in a way that gets your attention. And so that's what Paul has in mind, I think, in verse 17. And so he's saying this, again, watch for the gospel contrast. The present sufferings are light and will not last long. No, Paul, did you not have any experience of that? How can you call suffering light? No, Paul had serious experience with suffering, which is why this verse works, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, three times beaten with rods, once stoned and left for dead, three times shipwrecked. He had an illness, uh, a disease he carried along with him in his body, probably the second half of his life. Uh, Paul knew suffering, which is what makes verse 17 so compelling, right? He says, it's real, yes, but when I feel that in comparison to what God is forging in me through the weightiness of his own glory, man, that stuff feels like chaff that the wind is going to blow away, like straw that just, just blows away. God is at work in the furnace of suffering using the troubles of this world to forge in us the pure, heavy substance of his own glory. I don't think that's something Christians think about a lot. I think glory is just for God. Glory is not just for God. It's also for his creation. And when his glory is seen in his creation, it resounds to his glory, as long as it's not possessed or captured for oneself. So... He's using all this to remake us, to purify our property and character, to recast us, our properties and character, and to recast us into his image to recover his glory in us. That's what he's doing. Now, if we don't come out of the furnace as metal, but we come out as people, what would recast in God's image look like as a person? What would that shape look like? What kind of look would it have? Paul said, in the previous verses, back up to, to chapter four, verse six, it would look like the face of Jesus Christ. We've seen, he said, the glory of God in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we come out of this suffering and affliction and brokenness and trouble, we look more and more like Jesus. There's this increasing weight of glory. Think about it like this, an increasing weight and quality of the image of the Son of God made in us. So his kindness, his patience, his wisdom, his strength, his beauty. The glorious image of the Son of God is getting heavier and heavier in us. You know, if you talk to saints who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s, you'll even hear this. People who follow Jesus for their whole life it's getting heavier and heavier. And they want more and more to reflect who Jesus is. And they want to just go be with him. Why? Because it's an eternal weight of glory that they're feeling. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come to give you life. To give you abundant life. 
a qualitatively heavier, substantive kind of life, a life of glory that will last, a life that is so strong and weighty and glorious that it will push right through the terror of death and pop out on the other side, beautiful and amazing and forever. And so that's the kind of thing that Paul has in mind. So life everlasting starts now, is getting heavier and heavier over time. But third and finally, it's sometimes hard to see. Look at verse 18 with me. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, those are eternal. Those things are harder to see, but we keep trying to see them, right? Those things are harder to see because they're not right in front of us, but we look to them anyway. It is especially hard to see when the world around you measures success based mostly on what is transient, what is temporary, what can be physically seen. Money, power, outward beauty, status, bigger, better, faster. Boy, isn't God slowing us down right now? He's slowing down the economy. He's slowing down our lives. He's slowing down the stuff that we think we need to have to be happy. He's slowing everything down. Like we were cruising along the highway at 76 miles an hour, and in a 70, by the way, and, and we were thinking everything was okay, but stuff is just flying by. And then all of a sudden, the speed limit changed. We saw an officer of the law and we had to slow down and, and things began, we, we began to notice things. And what's happening right now is God in his providence, he's just slowing the whole thing down. Really, in fact, in some ways he's bringing us down into 10, 15, 20 miles an hour. And we're just, we feel like we're crawling along the road, right? But now we're seeing things that we just hadn't seen before. In fact, some of us are starting to walk more and that's slowing us down even more. God is slowing us down, why? Just so we can rediscover a vision of nature and stop and smell the roses and get out at this, no, no, no. Those are all beautiful things, but they all point to him. Why is he slowing us down? He's slowing us down that we might see him. He's slowing us down to help us discover the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Eternal life, life everlasting, it can begin right now. And it will grow heavier and weightier and more substantive in your life. But it can't start until you yield yourself willingly to Jesus. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe for the first time you would like to say, man, I want to slow down and discover life. And, and that starts with discovering life in the Son of God, Jesus, who came to give you life, to bring you life, to give you a new life, so that you might be born again. Because you're starting to realize, my life right now is not working like I thought it was gonna work. I would like to invite you to trust Christ today. I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray with you, and let's ask God, in the midst of this season, to really get our attention, help us to see, give us a vision for God and for other people. And so if you would pause with me right now and just pray with me 
And then if you do want to follow Christ, boy, please tell us that. Connect with us as a church. We'd love to help you. So let me, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, for those of us who, who want for the first time to trust in you, we pray that you'd help us to do that by turning away from ourselves, from our sin, even confessing particular sin like anger and deception, gossip, unkindness, maybe even some deeper sin. We want to confess that to you, turn away from it, and throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ, believe that Jesus came to live and die for us in our place to give us new life. And, and Lord, today I trust you with that, and I want to believe in the hope of the gospel that that new life could begin now. And so, please help me. Please give me genuine faith to trust in Jesus now and forever. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.